One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Bijou Podcasts. You're listening to episode 79 of The Stacey June Show. Today, my guest is public speaker and founder of Swanwick, James Swanwick, who wants you to think about your relationship with alcohol differently. Welcome to the Stacey June Show. I am Stace, and today is an interview episode where I speak to James Swanwick. I'll talk about James in a second. Very intrigued to get into this chat. Uh, It was interesting. I found him on Instagram, and once I started deep diving a little bit further into, I just guess, a bit about his his career, I was quite delighted and very surprised at all of the stuff that he's he's done because I found him through a very different, uh, I suppose, way that I thought I would have would have found out about this bloke. He's a journalist. He's done a heap of stuff in the States. He runs, he owns a company that I know quite well that uh, publishes and um, produces very successful sport content. And so it was random that I didn't know him as that kind of media mogul person and instead have found him through his work that he does with his 30-day no alcohol challenge and his commitment to getting you to sleep better. But today we focus on the alcohol part of the chat. Um, so I'm excited to introduce you to him. It's it's an interesting day for me. I feel a little bit anxious, actually, to be honest. Even you can hear how I'm speaking. I'm kind of heightened as I've, if you didn't listen to the Philip Shepard episode, I'm very aware of now of speaking from my pelvis and just kind of toning it back a little bit straight up. I was like, bang, 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 bang. Um, and that's what happens, I think, when you I'm dabbling back in radio and doing other parts of um, of work that I... I have done in the past and and I feel like a pretty different person. So you kind of go in and out of these parts of yourself and that's where I find myself today leading into my radio work. So it brings me up to a bit of a off the ground, as I've mentioned. And um, We've got a, a couple more shows to do and I've, I'm dropping some of these on the podcast uh, feed if you want, just their radio pop-up shows. Um, so feel free to enjoy those if you miss the radio days um, or you can listen in on a Sunday night on the Hit Network across the country. Apart from that, it's footy finals uh, in my mind at the moment, which is so random. I I mean, I don't know who's going to win. The AFL Grand Final is following on Saturday. Um, I'm a pie supporter and about to go to the game, The sorry, the um, the qualifying match today. It's, footy is such a random thing for me. It's such a humongous part of my upbringing and my life growing up in Melbourne, Victoria, and still is a very big part of my life considering my family are quite fixated and obsessed with the game, the AFL. So there is something about me that resisted and rebelled to that. I let go of my MCC membership, which I was in a list on for a million years. And then, I don't know, I just was like, I don't really, I can't justify spending all of this money when I live interstate with, you know, just all men 
throwing around a ball. This is before women's AFL even existed and I don't know, it just became something that I didn't resonate with anymore. But there is something about finals footy. I'm off back to Melbourne next week that, I don't know, just is really nostalgic for me and a nice community thing where I get together with friends and there's barbecues and often the sun's shining in Melbourne and So it was funny because I am working with a lot of coaching clients at the moment, a lot of chicks in their 20s trying to find their groove in that family dynamic and how they fit and be themselves and be different but still kind of keep that connection because people don't want to feel like they don't belong and be different to their families but at the same time it's really important that you follow who you are um, and not necessarily tell the stories and be the people that your family are or they or the people that they want you to be. So it is funny thinking about this with footy this week. And I think I found a really nice at my age, a really good equilibrium of just enjoying it when I do and leaving it to the wayside when I don't. But just to give you a bit of context, my family is incredibly hectic about the footy and half of us are Collingwood supporters, half of us are Richmond. So if it is a Collingwood-Richmond grand final, uh, it's pretty. there's a lot of energy around it and I feel a little bit... I've got a bit of anxious energy today, which is just so random considering all the information I've just told you about how I don't feel as connected, but somewhere it just shows itself up and um, I'm taking all of my my, uh, mates in Sydney here to go watch the game. So it'll be fun. It'll be fun. But speaking of those types of environments, it's very alcohol-fueled and it is interesting how very quickly as Aussies we step into these traditions and these stories that we're told of ways to celebrate, ways to be, ways to live when it comes to alcohol consumption. I'm certainly a person that has really had to take a step back from my environment, my surroundings, my upbringing and have a look at relationship, my relationship with alcohol and also what we're taught as a relationship to have with alcohol, separate from just my own home and also from a community perspective and a, a cultural perspective and, you know, and really have a look at where things work for me and where things more importantly do not. James Swanwick does this work um, as a commitment and I, I found his work on Instagram, even though, as I mentioned earlier, he's done a lot of work that, um, that in my in my industry that I, I wasn't really aware of. He has been a journalist and television podcast host in, in the States. I have heard of his podcast and had listened to it before. Um, he was an anchor on ESPN. He's done so much work across the, that field. Um, But interestingly enough, it was his work with alcohol that really um, brought me into his his ethos and his incredibly clear messaging. He also has a um, company which is called Swanwick, which is committed as well for you to be having a good night's sleep and also is one of the, I think, early adapters and sellers of the Blue Blocker uh, glasses. So you can get night swannies, they're called day swannies. You can get sunglasses. Um, and I have an offer code that I will um, will give you at the end of this show if you are interested in purchasing some. I know a lot of people are kind of talking about these Blue Blocker glasses and I have been meaning to get some myself. Um, so James, James has kindly uh, given my listeners 10% off if you follow uh, the, the link in show notes or you can use the code word June, but I'll give more information at the end of the podcast. So James does a lot of things and he's really, I really like his uh, approach to, I don't know, uh, just kind of shaking things up and seeing things very clearly and his 
His communication style is as clear as day. And when I say that, you know me, I'm much more conversational. I kind of go in and out of my words. It takes me a bit to get my question. This is who I am. But James is, and I really enjoyed his messaging and his clear messaging about booze on his Instagram and on the uh, online portals that I'd seen of his. But when I interviewed him, it was exactly the same way. He's consistent and the same person. And, and every question I asked him, he had such succinct, incredibly well-rounded, uh, um, clear messaging in his language. So it was quite impressive and at times a little bit intimidating if I'm honest um, because I have such a different style and there's always been that part of me that's kind of like, oh my God, I speak like a million miles an hour. I, I have so many different ways to explain words because I kind of work in this emotive way. So I was really impressed with the way he was able to get what he needed to, to say out in such a succinct manner. But on to the actual content, we spoke about so much when it comes to booze and so much of the story of where booze comes from, why we find ourselves being attracted to it, what kind of traps we can get into in, in assuming that that's the way that we should live and celebrate and uh, relax, um, relationships with alcohol that differ between guys and girls and some examples and behaviors that don't differ. Um, we also spoke about dating and how that can be really um, really impactful with the way we use alcohol or alcohol can be really impactful the way we date, I should say, and how it doesn't have to be the case. James has such a great um, clear vision of this and it's a really, it's really kind of quite straight lined. And I think a lot of us are really uncomfortable with thinking about this part of our lives because we do know that alcohol is a substance. It's a drug and we're very aware of this, but for some reason, it's very different to other things that we put into our bodies. There's this real acceptance to this particular drug that we consume on a daily basis for a lot of us. And so when people talk this clearly about offering information from another perspective, it can be uncomfortable. And so I'm sure it is a little bit sketchy for some of you, but listen to the whole thing. Hear the guy out. Have a think about what's making uncomfortable, what's making you uncomfortable about it and think about that. Sit on it, ponder it, let it sit for a couple of days and and don't ignore it. I think it's really important that we take care of ourselves and we do look at places that we push or we, we, we resist. And this is definitely a conversation where you find your groove, you find what works for you, but I think it's important that we don't ignore parts of the information to make ourselves feel better. So do go forth, keep, you know, making decisions that are best for you, but don't ignore all the, all the facts is what I'm trying to say. James Swanwick was a delight to chat to. It was his birthday, I think, uh, around the episode. He talks about how interesting, how he celebrates and, and how, how fun it sounds and how New York have got all of these alcohol-free bars now. And I just think it's such an enlightened view of the world. I think we really, I mean, for me, I really enjoy and feel almost relief and at ease when there's different options for us. We're, we're such different people. Uh, we all need different things. And I think we all require to be able to have options to socialize and enjoy ourselves with things that really work and fit for us. This particular part of our lives, I don't think we have that many options all the time. I'm sure we do have them when we dig deeper, but in front of us. So to think that there's places in New York that are opening alcohol-free bars and whether you're into it or not, or whether you want to dabble with it or give it a go, it's just so nice to know that there are there are people that are doing those types of things as options for us. So we're not just completely... Um, 
I don't know, channeled to just do the one thing we've always been told and that is to celebrate, to party, to have a good time, you booze up. So enjoy the chat. Like I said, don't avoid it. Don't skip it. Listen to the whole thing. And at the end of the episode, if you are interested in dabbling in some of the other offerings that James has, I will give you some info on the courses um, as well as, of course, the Blue Blocker Sunnies and um, glasses if you're interested. Okay. Enjoy the chat with James, my friends. very much for your time today I really appreciate it we are on different parts of the world and this conversation uh well to get this conversation happening has been quite seamless so I thank you for that of course thank you for having me you have uh, a really uh very kind of tailored clear message uh that I came across online and was completely interested in talking to you because I think your way of expressing whatever what, what your what your work is and what your passion is is super super clear can you run me through where this the conversation and the interest in I suppose our understanding around alcohol our use of it and the things that we're missing or the things that we aren't familiar with going on behind the scenes in our relationship with alcohol where did that interest begin for you yeah, well, essentially, I help people reduce or quit drinking. Um, not so much alcoholics. I lovingly refer refer anyone who who identifies as an alcoholic elsewhere. But I I really help the the societally acceptable drinker who realizes that their drinking is slowing them down, holding them back, and it's a little bit of a problem. I help them reduce or quit drinking entirely. How do you define the difference? Like, what's the line for you where you go, oh, okay this might be out of what the work I do? Well, I mean, if someone tells me that they're, they're an alcoholic, then, then you know, I, I believe them. Um, and the, the, the way that you, that you know that someone is or someone isn't is if someone has a chemical reliance on the drug. And so if they're having one drink, they're having like 10 or 20. If someone has 20 DUIs or have, um, you know, just hit absolute rock bottom with destructive behavior, um, then that tells you something. Um, who I'm helping with is, is the person who has, you know, might only have two or three drinks a night. Maybe they binge drink on the weekends. Maybe they go a few days of the week where they don't drink. And it's kind of like this silent, slow destruction where it's not, uh, uh, initially obvious at how much it's holding you back. But over time, whether that be months or years or decades, all of a sudden you wake up and you go, wow, this toxin that I'm drinking, this attractively packaged poison that I've been drinking and that everyone's been encouraging me to drink for so many years has actually caused me to put on some weight. It's affected my energy. It's slowed down my productivity. I realized that even though I'm drinking it to relieve me of stress and anxiety, it's keeping me in stress and anxiety. And it's not this this thing where you have to hit rock bottom. It's this thing that just chips away at you like this energy leak over many years until you finally wake up and go, oh, this is literally like walking around the streets with a ball and chain around my ankle. So that's how I would define 
define the difference. To answer your first question, I was just a societally acceptable drinker in Australia. In 2010, I woke up one morning and I said, you know what, I'm going to take a 30-day break and just see how I feel. I did. It felt amazing. I decided to just keep on going and I haven't touched a drop of alcohol since. And then in about 2015, I created a program named the 30-Day No Alcohol Challenge, which has helped you know 10,000 plus people now quit drinking for at least 30 days uh, and beyond. And that's since turned into a 90-day program and a 60-day program, which helps people really re-explore their relationship with alcohol. And what is the, th- what is the point that I think we're unaware of behind those kinds of habits that isn't about just being sober because I think a lot of people will do a lot of these detoxes or the months off but your program really offers quite a quite a deeper understanding of why you do what you do and and how you kind of got to that place what's the difference between just kind of being sober for 30 days and the program that you offer well, but, but being sober for 30 days is kind of like it allows you to get a glimpse of what it feels like to live the alcohol-free lifestyle. And that's really what I am coaching and, and helping people understand is that, is that alcohol-free is a lifestyle. Um, so 30 days will give you a glimpse of that. Um, now, many people who do the 30 days, like a detox or they do my 30-day no-alcohol challenge, for example – Many people will stay quit and they'll just love it and they'll go, wow, I can't believe I wasn't doing this you know, my entire life. Uh, and then you know, just as many people will return to drinking, but more often than not at a far reduced rate than, than previously. Um, having said that, there is a worldwide trend going on now where people are becoming increasingly sober curious and they're starting to wake up to the idea that what has been going on behind the curtain, so to speak, in their lives for many years has been this social indoctrination or this societal conditioning that this alcohol, which I refer to as attractively packaged poison, is being thrust upon us by millions and millions of smiling assassins. And I name them smiling assassins. And the smiling assassins are your friends, your family, the waiter, the waitress, the barman, the bar woman. It's the friends at your Christmas party or your back, backyard barbecue on a Sunday afternoon. Whenever anyone offers you a drink, they always do it with a smile. Hey, can I get you a drink? Would you like a beer? Would you like a wine? And it's all part of this societal conditioning whereby it's just so woven into the, to the societal fabric that we, that we don't even question it until we do. And then when we do, we wake up and go, oh, this thing that, I, that everyone's been coming at me with for all of these years, the waiter, the waitress, my friends, my father, my wife, my husband, my colleagues, my boss, the waiters, the waitresses, this, this, this thing that people have been offering me all these years is actually doing me more harm than good. It's actually just destroying my dreams in the long run and keeping me playing small. So many people associate that particular relationship with all of those examples of people that you that you just reeled off uh, as their point of connection. So their point of human connection. There, there is a really big link to that the consumption of alcohol to lead you to connection. What would you say to that? And and, and what are some ideas around 
re, redefining that, I suppose, and, and, and if somebody was to, dis, to discover that within themselves but then have no idea how to kind of begin that, that, I guess, next step for themselves of understanding that that's not necessarily the case, how, what would you advise? You can have connection without the alcohol. You can create a bond without the alcohol. You can go on a first date without the alcohol. You can create romance without the alcohol. You can create amazing, fun-filled memories without the alcohol. You don't need the alcohol to relieve yourself of stress and anxiety. You just want to relieve yourself of stress and anxiety. You don't need alcohol in order to go to a party or engage with people in a social setting. You just want to engage with people and connect in a social setting. But unfortunately, people over many years have associated holding this thing in our right hand or our left hand, this glass of champagne or wine or holding this beer, as kind of like a social crutch, like a prop, if you will. And so the idea of removing that social crutch and then throwing them into a social situation without them being able to hold a glass of champagne or hold a beer or sip on something seems so overwhelming to people because they're so used to it. Until what we do is that we throw them into those social situations without the alcohol and we have them drinking soda water or water or some kind of fancy mocktail or whatever they want. And in many cases, just not having them drink anything, standing there without anything in their hand. And we rewire the neurons in their brain in order for them to realize and feel comfortable socializing and engaging people without the alcohol. Listen, I haven't drunk since 2010, and I can tell you that I've had the most fun of any time that I've had in my life. I've gone to uh, countless parties, open bars, backyard barbecues, um, bars, on very few occasions, nightclubs, because I'm getting on in years now. It's not really, I don't really go to those places anymore. <laughs> but but I, I go to those events, you know, like I've been to Las Vegas, which uh, for work functions and business functions where everyone wants to do business and take you out to a nightclub late at night and get bottle service and dance on tables and all that kind of ridiculous stuff, which is super fun and can be super fun, but I'm in my 40s and, and, and I've done all of that while being alcohol-free. So you don't need the alcohol. And people, you know, right now you might be listening to this going, I don't get it. That's okay. That's because you've never tried it. And that's because even if you have tried it, the way that you've tried it, you are living a life thinking that you're depriving yourself of something fun and depriving yourself of something pleasurable if you're not drinking. And it's, I get that's why you th- I get why you think that because all around you are smiling assassins with big smiles on their faces as they're getting drunk or drinking alcohol. And so, therefore, if you don't, if you quote unquote deprive yourself of alcohol, you think that you're not having fun. It's nonsense. You can have the most fun alcohol-free. And so that's the distinction. Why do you think that dating and alcohol are so connected? Like, How did this become such a huge part of the dating world and getting to know someone culture? Because in specifically one of the questions I get for um, my Single Pringle podcast, which I drop on a Tuesday, which is, 
trying to empower people to not wish away their single lives and really harness their kind of self-care and find find out who they are in that process and not waste it by wishing that, you know, oh, I want to meet someone right now. And just that time just ends up going and then you, you do meet someone and you're like, oh, fuck, I wasted that time. That's what the podcast is about. And one of the biggest things we get, we get asked or I get asked is how do I date without – going to a but like it's just crazy the amount of people that are so confronted with offering a suggestion that doesn't involve booze when they're meeting someone yeah so and is it mostly men who are asking that question because they're a lot of times they're initiating dates or is it women who are accepting dates and trying to counter an offer of meeting in a bar well, that's true because there's two points there, right? So it's yeah, it's that mostly women, um, and yes, you're right. So what, like, one of the points is looking to try and find a different thing to do, but yes. the other is often that they are not necessarily initiating the date idea, or then have to go back and essentially reject an idea and come up with another one. Yeah, got it. Okay, so one and I, I'll I'll answer uh, I'll answer um, for men and I'll answer for women and I'll spend more time on, on the answer for women, given your audience is mostly women, but, um, as you can tell, I am a man (laughs) and, uh, and I've gone out on dates, alcohol free. And as a man, I will never, ever suggest meeting in a bar ever. I always suggest daytime dates for a first date. So it's always like, let's meet for a walk. Do you want to meet for a morning coffee? Do you want to meet for an afternoon juice? Uh, do you want to go for a hike? Do you want to, um, do some kind of activity? So I'm not, I'm never suggesting or rarely suggesting meeting for any kind of nighttime date. And even in those rare occurrences where I do, if I'm in a city that is conducive to a walk and the weather's nice, et cetera, I'll say, do you want to go for a walk? Why don't we meet for, um, you know, for a late, late afternoon, late afternoon walk. Uh, or if I, if it's nighttime and, and the, the lovely lady in question can't meet, uh, until, you know, after work, then I may suggest meeting for, um, some dinner, but in a place and I'll just say to her, I said, Oh, do you want to meet for some, uh, for some dinner? We'll just go to this place here. And, um, it's a little hole in the wall tie place, or it's a little thing. So I'm creating the context that there's no alcohol involved. Okay. Now, if I am a woman and a man isn't asking the woman out and the man says, Oh, do you want to catch up? Do you want to meet up for a drink and we'll meet in a bar? What I would say, what I, I advise my women coaching clients, um, to say, if they don't want to drink, they say, Hey, yeah, listen, I'm happy to meet you in a bar. Just so you know, I'm, I don't drink. Um, so happy to, um, you know, happy to meet there and I'll drink, um, you know, soda water and stuff. Just wanted to, to let you know that. Um, or if you wanted to meet for a daytime, uh, walk in the park or something, um, I'd be, I'd be super open to that as well. So you're just very gently kind of leading the man down a path and letting him know that you're alcohol free. You're not making him feel any kind of guilt or, 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 you know, feel bad for him suggesting a drink because you're quite okay to meet him in a bar, but you're letting him know ahead of time that you won't be drinking. Now, um, if he responds in a way as like, what, you're not drinking or what? and like expresses shock or horror, then I would offer that he's not really the right guy for you in the first place if this is going to be a de- an issue. If he says, yeah, okay, great, awesome, can't wait to ask you about it, then great, meet him in the bar and then when you're at the bar, just order soda water all night. Water, soda water, ice and a piece of lime. If he orders a, a wine or a beer, let him drink his wine or beer. Um, 
And then suggesting a, a daytime date for him is not you saying, no, let's not meet in a bar, let's meet in the park instead, because now you're you're sapping him of his masculinity and he wants to be the leader and be the man who asks you out. What you're doing is just very gently offering him uh, an alternative suggestion, but allowing him to come up with the specifics. So you're not saying, oh, actually, why don't we meet in on Bondi Beach, you know, North Bondi instead, you're actually saying to him, oh, I'd be happy to, you know, go for a go for a daytime walk instead, like in the morning or, or afternoon, what, 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 you know, what, what do you think? So you're letting him, you're giving him enough room to be able to be the man and be the leader and suggest the specifics and have him feel good about that while also diffusing any kind of anxiety or stress that you may feel around meeting in a bar if indeed you feel that anxiety and stress for meeting in a bar. It's kind of like you're presenting a little bit of extra information about yourself and who you are as opposed to necessarily taking the steering wheel. Yeah, 100%. Um, mm. and, 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 and most of the women clients that I, that I work with, they, they, they say to me that, that um, if they're accepting the phone call from a man who's asking them out and they're open to that man going on a first date with them, Usually the man will accommodate her request, which is or support the fact that she's not drinking. Because if they are supporting that, then it means that you've made a great connection with someone who's energetically in alignment with you. If someone rejects mm-hmm. your suggestion of, you know, not drinking at a bar and instead going for a walk and questioning, oh, what do you mean? Let's have a drink. Then I would offer that that, that, that person is not energetically in alignment with you. Um, but either way, what you're doing is you, you're not making him feel bad for his suggestion to meet for drinks. You're just merely letting him know that you choose to be alcohol-free. It's no big deal. You enjoy it. You love it. And you're offering him a fun alternative for a date. Mm, I love that. I love that. It feels very complicated in the moment <laughs> a lot of the time to people, but I think I think a nice way of getting to know people are kind of showing different parts of yourself as opposed to getting heavy in the logistics and he says, she says and dissecting it for seven days with your friend. And It's actually just about slowly, slowly releasing more information about who you are so then they can make, then you can see how they react and then make your, your call from there. I like it. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I have a question about women and alcohol and men and alcohol. Do you think that women and alcohol isn't as commonly discussed as being a problem? There's this real kind of cultural story, particularly in Australia, where blokes will have their, you know, their kind of rat pack or your dad's, you know, associated as the heavy drinker out of your mum and dad or all of these real gender stereotypes when it comes to men and alcohol 
and their habits. But we know that there is just as equally as a bit an issue with women or, or you would know probably more so specifically of how much that that shows up. But but do you think that there is a bit of a hidden kind of element to women and their alcohol relationship and and why do you think that's the case if so? Well, look, I've been I've been coaching people on this now for about 6 years and um I see a very even split um, of uh, the effects of alcohol on, on, on men and women. So a lot of the people who come to me purchase my programs or, or become clients of mine, it's right down the middle, 50-50. So um, if there is any social stigma towards one sex or the other, towards women, women more so than men, then it is just social stigma because alcohol affects men and, and, and women slightly differently in terms of physiologically but the same number of people right down the middle so it's it's unfair to say that that more women than men have problems with alcohol it's that's just an it's just not true in my experience it's just been straight down the middle it affects as many men as it affects as many women um having said that i think because um you know it takes less alcohol to affect women and they um you know, sometimes if you're in a very heavy drinking culture and you're going out on a Friday and Saturday night uh, and you see a, a petite woman falling over or acting drunk or doing something, then the visually that, that can be quite, I, I guess for lack of a better word, visually confronting than say a man who probably drinks and, um, you know, more, but it, because he's bigger and stronger and taller and he has a higher tolerance, I guess, in terms of he can drink more, we don't really judge the men as uh, as much so i think women are fairly judged around around that but i can tell you that that as many women as many men as women uh, experience um you know problems relating uh, relating from uh, from alcohol um what i will say is that uh there are slightly different reasons for why women and women do drink um uh everybody is everybody tends to um, drink um, as a numbing agent, so it's it's designed to relieve people of stress and anxiety, um, to not face certain things. Even like going out on a Friday and Saturday night, <clears throat> excuse me, when you think you're having fun, it's actually a numbing agent in and of itself because it's numbing your insecurity about being in social situations without alcohol, and actually having to rely on your own conversation and your own confidence and your own you know whatever in order to engage in people for a while. Um, uh, having said that, I, I have noticed that, that women tend to, to use it as more of a, as a daily habit, as a way of relieving stress and anxiety at the end of a day. So they'll come home from work, pour themselves a glass of wine, pour themselves a glass of red, um, and, and drink alcohol as a numbing agent from stress and anxiety. Uh, and men, um, a little bit more so, or noticeably more so than women will drink, uh, will binge drink so they'll go um, you know tend to not drink monday tuesday wednesdays but then thursday friday saturday sundays they'll drink excessively um so i have noticed that shift women is more like a daily habit relieving stress and anxiety men more is, is like a a binge drinking habit um, which is very heavy towards you know one part of the week mm, it's interesting it's also interesting because it kind of makes sense in some ways of 
different hobbies and different life and different ways to deal with things and how you do, you know, kind of girls do it bit by bit or talk bit by bit or even if they've been at home with the kids all day, it's kind of bit by bit. Whereas guys, it's a bit of a build, 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 let off kind of a reaction, I suppose. Um, it's interesting when you start when you start having a bit of a thought that okay, I generally didn't so say for example, someone's thinking I don't drink before Thursdays or I have these thought processes around my I guess in adverted commas control around drinking or my my drinking habits and you you feel like you're on top of them to whatever degree or however that looks for yourself. And then they start to kind of creep into areas that I suppose you weren't originally comfortable with and then it builds and builds. Where do you see the tipping point or do you think it just is a, I don't know, lack of education from the very beginning or do you think there is a point where people can turn to a a place where it does become not not just necessarily dangerous but just becomes really unproductive and and starts to affect their their lives in the way that you explained at the beginning of the the chat that we're having well it starts off as a curiosity and it starts off as you know indoctrination where people are you know your father and your mother are grooming you from a very young age and saying you know you can drink when you're 15 or 16 so you know you don't you're not drinking at the table and then at the dinner table, and then all of a sudden, fifteen or sixteen rolls around, and your dad lets you have a little, you know, little sip of beer, or he lets you have a little bit of wine, and so now you feel special. It's like, oh, I'm growing up, I'm turning into a man, or I'm turning into a woman. Now I get to have this attractively packaged poison that my parents have got to have, and so you're being indoctrinated from a very young age that this is just normal, this is just what people do, and it is very normal, and it is what people do. And it's destroying you. And what happens then is that you start, you go through the phase where you drink heavily in your teens, you celebrate your 18th birthday party, you go out to nightclubs, you get drunk, you make some mistakes, you do all these kind of things. And then in your 20s, you go to work and then you have after work drinks and then you watch sport on a weekend and then you go in your late 20s and 30s and you might get married and then even at your wedding you're giving out free bottles of attractively packaged poison and you're toasting the bride and the groom with attractively packaged champagne and then all of a sudden the stress and the anxiety of, of your life starts to kick in and you're coming home from work and you've got the kids and you're like, oh, I just need a drink. Just let me pour, pour a drink. And then you become reliant on this thing and because it's an addictive toxin. It's an addictive poison. And as it leaves the body after you've been drinking it, it leaves you wanting more. And so you mistake this, this drinking for relieving you of, of stress and anxiety, but in actual fact, all it's doing is just relieving you of your alcohol craving because your body is now seeking the toxins that it, it hasn't had. And then this vicious cycle just continues. So then over many years, and again, you don't need to be rock bottom for this to be affecting your life. Rock bottom, in my view, is like you, you crash a car, you're like you've destroyed relationships, you've done the wrong thing, you've cleaned out your bank account, you're on the streets, like you're falling over, you're getting arrested. You don't need to have any of that in order for this alcohol to destroy your life. You could just be going about your life normally thinking that everything's normal, but really these two or three glasses of wine every night that you're having is compromising your sleep, making you wake up irritable, causing you to be a little bit late for work, 
causing you to only perform at about a six out of 10 in your job. So you don't get a promotion, come home from work. And now your husband or wife or your kids, you're finding irritable or you're finding irritating because you're irritable because you're stressed and anxious because now you're craving a drink again. And so this vicious cycle just continues and continues and continues. Mm. Where did, where do we, do we, do we have any idea of where alcohol began? So when, when people started drinking it way back in the ye old days, was it for the same reasons and did people have the same effect, but it's just less research? Like where, and, and how did Australia in particular become so focused or, or how did it normalize alcohol so much? Well, the word alcohol actually is an Arabic term. It comes from the Arabic term al-kahul. And do you want to know what al-kahul actually means? Mm -hmm. It means body-eating spirit. Oh, fuck. So it's a body-eating spirit. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So um, uh, initially it was designed to to numb people and, uh, you know, used for, for mostly medicinal purposes or to just keep people in a state of numbness. Right. And then over time people were like, oh, okay, righto, this is interesting. Maybe now we can rewire our brain around this and actually use it as something pleasurable. It's because it's pleasurable to numb ourselves mm. and it's pleasurable to take the medicine to stop the pain of life, so to speak. And then it just really, you know, it really just progressed from there. Um, so the fact that alcohol actually comes from a term that means body eating spirit should tell you everything you need to know about, <laughs> about uh, you know, about alcohol in general. It's a nasty negative connotation and it's a nasty negative drug. It just is. But it's been normalized by marketing. It's been normalized by your mother, your father, your friends, your colleagues, the waiters, the waitresses, sporting teams, sponsorships, marketing. I mean, it's just been normalized. Um, In terms of Australian culture, um, of course, we came over here as convicts, didn't we, from the the British um, penal system. And um, it's funny. I was I was watching um, I was watching that movie Master and Commander the other day, the one starring Russell Crowe from from about two thousand and I don't know, maybe two thousand and three, two thousand and four. And you know, they were sailing. Um, the captain of the ship was sailing um, uh, the ship, and uh, you know, all of his crew was drinking whiskey and and, and bourbon and rum. I think it was. I think it was rum and. Uh, uh, my, uh, Russell Crowe's character's friend, played by Paul Bettany, was suggesting that they just pour all of the rum overboard so that the, the the crew could be more efficient and productive. And Russell Crowe's character was saying, "No, I am not going to destroy a hundred years of naval tradition by depriving my men of the one thing that they seek pleasure and joy from." And I was like, "Wow, that is so interesting that it was indoctrinated into people, you know, three hundred, four hundred years ago that this." poison is uh, uh, um, equals fun and pleasure and joy where whereas can you imagine being like can you imagine going on a boat cruise now and the captain and all of the crew are all drunk on <laughs> rum every single night like you'd be terrified like you'd be terrified they're going to make the wrong decision and you'd be lost at sea for years but yet this is how much it was normalized and i think when we first got here in the late 1700s and then we were colonized in the early 1800s you know, it became it became this thing where we we form a bond, right? Like, 
Australia was a harsh country. It was like miles and miles of open land and harsh territory and undiscovered territory. <clears throat> and so it was a way of creating community and a, a, a way of creating kinship and bonds and friendship uh, amongst people who were, you know, who were essentially settling a very tough and harsh, uh, harsh, ter- harsh terrain. And so rum, essentially, and later on beer and alcohol in general, became this social lubricant that kind of brought these people together through what was a very, you know, what was very tough beginnings. Um, now, I would offer this, that, that it wasn't needed for, for that, but that was just what they knew. They brought that same drinking mentality from Britain over here to Australia. And before you knew it, people were like, oh, let's have a drink. It's like, you know, you've worked hard during the day, you've created your home, you've plowed the land. Let's celebrate with this thing called alcohol at the end of the day and create this bond and this kinship. And then that has that has just stayed, you know, the same over over you know, 150 years, let's call it 200 years, whereas today it's now this very Australian mateship kind of thing, isn't it? Like, oh, let's catch up for a beer. Yeah, day's hard work. Yeah, let's have a couple beers. And you see these um, commercials, you know, for VB and Tui's and Forex, and it's all the same commercials. It's blokey men and attractive-looking women having fun, smiling, being a little bit goofy and enjoying this attractively packaged poison and, uh, you know, and the subliminal marketing messaging is if you want to be part of a tribe, if you want to be part of a group, if you want to fit in, then you'll partake in this attractively packaged poison with us. And now you're stuck in the vicious cycle and the, so- and the social indoctrination and the matrix, if you will, of societal conditioning that this is just perfectly normal. It ain't normal, folks. Mm, 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 mm. It's so terrifying to think about that picture that you just painted because in so many ways that feels like my, the family I grew up in because they had it rough, you know. It was it, And it's just an alcohol. Not only did it necessarily bond, particularly kind of the brothers and uncles and, you know, and still the aunt, you know, there's still women in there as well, but this real bonding. But it was also this kind of justification for a rough day or a rough go or a rough hand. And it sounds so similar to when we got here, which was a million years ago. Well, not that long ago compared to other countries, but still, you know, 200 years ago, it's just blows your mind that when people think that the day, you know, days go on and, and, and that things will take care of themselves, unless anybody actually takes shift of their own life or really kind of goes within and focuses on what changes they can make to, to carve their own path you could just end up the exact same way as somebody from 200 years ago and think you've got nothing in relation to them or nothing to relate to them. But actually, it's just the exact same story. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, the exact same story, just in a different century. And, uh, but even more, just even more normalized today, you know, just, just, you know, because now we have television commercials and magazine advertising. And it's the same nonsense all the time. It's <clears throat> you see these travel commercials, and it's always of an attractive man and woman sitting down on a candlelit dinner with a uh, with a bottle of wine, toasting themselves. And you see it on Instagram today. You know when people 
go to a famous events or you know or, or notable events or they go traveling and they're posting travel photos very often you'll see them um, part of their props for their photos as if to illustrate they're having a great time is they'll be holding a drink in their hand and I'm like I look at these photos and like I look at them and go what are you doing like you think that holding a glass of champagne while standing on a beach means that you're living a wonderful, free, incredible life. It's like why don't you just why don't you just take the photo of you standing on the beach without holding the glass of poison? Because it's like a it's like a um, a contradiction. You, like you, you're standing on a beach celebrating freedom and travel and the fact that you're relaxing and that's great but at the same thing you're holding something that doesn't relax you you think it does in the moment but it's temporary and it's illusionary but in actual face it's just in actual fact it's just keeping you stuck in your whole life it's like when waiters come to you and they offer you a drink they say hey can i get you started with um with some drinks we've got some wine i've got some cocktails what can i get you started with they may as well be coming up to you saying, hey, can I get you started with a really bad night's sleep and some morning irritability and a little bit of obesity and how about some strained relationships with your partner? Can I get you a glass of that? Oh, yes, please. I would, that sounds delicious. I would love that. <laughs> That's essentially what's going it's also, on. Yeah, it's also not cheap. Um, yeah, That's right. it is, and it is really, It's like I said from the beginning, your messaging with this is so clear because you you kind of feel like there's nowhere to go. You know, it's very simple when you think of it and when you when you say it like that. Um, before we wrap, wrap up at the beginning of this uh, podcast, you spoke about these this decision about a non-alcohol like it was an alcohol-free lifestyle. You use the you use the term lifestyle when it comes to choosing not to drink. Can you speak a little bit further to that and 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 I guess the thing that straight away I thought was does that scare people because they then feel like they're essentially in this kind of other cult or this other you know there's like a separation from it which I think is essentially the biggest fear of people in the first place of quitting booze but how do you kind of explain that and why is that that the best way to approach it in your opinion Well look I mean <sighs> I don't, I don't see what's scary about a lifestyle. I mean, um, and just, to, just to put anyone's mind at ease, this lifestyle, this alcohol-free lifestyle, it's, it's happening. It's a trend. Just like smoking, and, and, and became, um, you know, people's uh, um, started waking up to the health problems of alcohol in the late fifties and early sixties, and now it's just a given that we live cigarette-free lifestyles, except for you know some people. This is what's happening with alcohol. It's going to take a couple decades. Like it will take a, a lot longer um, than the cigarettes do. Cigarette campaigning did, but it's happening. It's happening. Um, a, a lifestyle is kind of like a word to, that that represents how you proactively choose to, to to live to live your life with fun and with power and with joy. As opposed to oh I'm sober, which which suggests that oh you had a problem and but you're depriving yourself of something by not drinking, you're depriving yourself of fun and joy by not drinking. Oh you don't get to drink. Oh that's a shame. You just drank a bit too much, did you? Oh okay, you're, you're sober, are you? Oh that's a shame. I better not drink around this person. But a lifestyle is something like I can drink, but I just choose not to. I can drink, I just choose to be alcohol free, and I love it. 
and I recognize and identify how much fun I'm having on a Friday and Saturday night without it. And I recognize and identify how much fun I have on a Saturday and Sunday morning without it because I didn't have it on the Friday and Saturday night. And I recognize that this is a lifestyle that I'm powerfully choosing. Not that I'm depriving myself of anything, but that I'm powerfully stepping into it and loving it and enjoying it. So um, that's what I mean by lifestyle. It's something that you choose and with a smile on your face. Not like, a, oh, gee, shocks, no, sorry, sorry, I don't drink. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't have fun. You guys have fun. I'm staying in tonight. But no, I'm living the alcohol-free lifestyle. I'm going out. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to do all these amazing things while being alcohol-free. That's the difference. And I'll tell you, I'm, I'm just going to New York City this, this Friday. I'm having my, my birthday party on Saturday night, and I'm going to an alcohol-free bar. I'm having it in an alcohol-free bar, and there's I think there's about – four or five alcohol-free bars now in, in New York City, a couple in Brooklyn, some in Manhattan, that they're starting to pop up increasingly now. No alcohol is served there. You go in, you order a drink, and the drink is a mocktail or a soda water or water, and there's a DJ and there's a dancing and there's all the kind of things that you would ordinarily have. There's just no alcohol. So it's happening. Get on board the train. <laughs> yeah, right. Of course, it's New York. And that's awesome. You know, there's something in me, if I'm really honest, that when you said that, it was a relief. You know what I mean? Like it's a relief that you say that things are happening or, you know, because I think it is an interesting thing where I think for a lot of people when they choose this lifestyle or choose to go down that road, it's, it is, it, it's, it's, there's pressure that, you know, there is a point of difference and there would be a lot of resistance that comes up all the time with their life. So, I think on the flip side of that, I understand totally that it is a choice and you let people be who they want to be and they can kind of piss off if they want to be, make things more difficult for you to some degree. But I think it is nice to also hear that this, like society is catching up to that idea because I think, well, it's just a nice way to picture the world in the future, right? It's happening. So... The trend is happening. It doesn't mean you have to catch the trend. You can still choose to stay in, you know, the norm and the societal norms. But, I, like, you, you might be listening to me now going, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about or I've still got massive resistance to this. Trust me, in, 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 in even just one more year, two more years, three more years, this is, gonna, this is happening. This is a tidal wave of, of public sentiment of change where people are rewiring their thought processes around around drinking. And you're going to see, I think, many bars either go out of business or many bars have to start increasingly offering many alcohol-free, um, um, you know, alcohol-free drinks, as, as many are. And I'll tell you, it's interesting because the alcohol companies are investing millions and millions and millions of dollars into alcohol-free drinks now. Um which is fascinating because they realize that there's a shift. They can see it. Yeah, it, and it's it's fascinating now. There's a very big pub around the corner from my place and they have an alcohol-free beer on the pub, like on the, the beer list, which is just kind of not – I've never seen it before. Um, it's, a, it's around the corner. It's a very big pub with a very big chain of pubs and I ordered one the other day and – um, he said, "Oh, we don't have any left. It, they've all they're all gone." And I said, "You're absolutely joking me." And he said, "No, we didn't even order enough stocking because there's no way we thought there would be this much interest." Mm -hmm. So 
it's it is happening um and it it's yeah it's a very I don't know I even if you are listening to this and hearing that you've, you're feeling resistance or you're kind of questioning what James is saying I think regardless of whether you go which way you go I think everybody deserves to have choice and I think the biggest thing that is really difficult at the moment is is that there isn't a lot it's kind of it's very much like you said so socially conditioned that it doesn't it doesn't yeah it doesn't really feel like there's an, any other form of offering so I think whichever way you sit on the fence everybody deserves to have the right to choose and have social elements and, and different ways to make their life comfortable rather than just one way so I I'm, I'm glad to hear that mm. James thank you so much for your time honestly um, I think it's a really it just feels so clear and simple um, when you when you put it out there like that so I I really appreciate your time, but I also really appreciate the way that you communicate this message. I know that the actual information and the fact is quite simple, but I, I just don't think people are cutting through the way you are. So thank you very much. Yeah, you're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks, guys, for listening. If you do want to uh, take up James on his generous offer of 10% off uh, his Swanee Blue Blockers, you can head to swanwicksleep.com. I will put the link in show notes. And if you use the code JUNE, J-U-N-E, you get a 10% discount. That easy. If you're looking for more information of James James's courses, his podcast, or any anything else that he does, um, his alcohol freedom formula and um, a whole heap of other uh, events that he attends or speaks at, you can head to jameswanwick.com and that'll also be in show notes. Hope you enjoyed it. Would love to hear what you think. A rating and review, of course, always helps this podcast and always helps the right people find the right info. So it is helpful and I appreciate every one of you that takes the time to do it. All right, we'll be back on Sunday with a self-centered Sunday podcast. I hope you enjoyed this one and have a good day. Bye. This has been another Bijou Podcast production. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 